Hello, this is Miss Leslie Barker, the pastor's wife here at Amazing Grace Baptist Church. Thank you for joining in today. Our prayer is that the Lord will speak to your heart through His Word, and that this podcast will be a source of encouragement and a blessing to you today. The fact that if your leg really isn't important, if your attitude about it is such that you say, what am I going to do? What am I going to get out of this? I remember one time reading a little book by Dr. DeHaan that said, get, getting the most out of suffering. This is the picture in which I found that book. I was in a church in Wisconsin, and a little lady about 80-some years old came walking up the aisle and said, oh, it's just so good to see you. And my husband and I were in that church, and, and we said uh, something like a, uh, after we talked with her a little bit, you know, uh, what what are you doing for the Lord? She said, oh, I am just so happy. I haven't been happier in my life. And I thought, oh, really? Why? Why? Uh, she doesn't seem that she would have anything to be happy about. From what I understand, her husband must be gone. She's here alone. Surely she lives alone. And I, I personally thought, I'm going home with this lady and find out why she's so happy. Why, at 80-some years of age, after she's reared her family and been used to having her husband with her, and uh, as I understood later, had a relatively comfortable life, then why would she say, I'm happier than I've ever been in my life? So I went home with her to her little apartment, and as I looked all over that little apartment, I saw color, bright colors. She had planned to be happy. She had plants all over the little apartment. I said, since you're happier than you've ever been in your life, I suppose your children live close around. She said, no, one lives in Texas, and this was in Wisconsin. One lives in Michigan. And I said, I suppose, of course, that your husband has not passed away. If this is your happiest time of your life. No, my husband went to be with the Lord 14 years ago, something like this, something to this effect. And then I said, I acted as if I didn't understand. And of course, I really don't understand, but I have a little idea what type of person she is and what God's done in her life. But I acted as if I were completely mystified. And I said, Mrs. Lieber, why? Why could this be? How could this be the happiest time in your life? And she said, I've always been happy. I am always happy. Today is my happiest time. Today is the best age to be. Whatever age I've been, that's the best age to be. I've heard other people say this. But to hear a person 80-some years old, I said, of course you haven't had much sickness then, if you can feel this way. Well, honey, six months ago, I was in the hospital for six weeks with a heart attack, and I'm, a heart attack, and I'm very limited now. Now, girls, if you can learn this kind of life, that today's the happiest day. Don't wait until you're married to decide you're going to be happy. Don't say, I'll be happy when I'm out of school. I'll be happy when I go home for spring vacation or for the summer. I'll be happy when I can teach. I'll be, ha be happy today. Today, this is the day which the Lord hath made. Be glad and rejoice in it. Rejoice evermore. Rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice always. That means today. If you are happy today, you'll be happy when you're 83 years old, when you've had a heart attack, when you're limited, when you're alone. Not only was she alone as far as her family was concerned and all, she was living in a home for handicapped people, a home for handicapped. And I said, uh, well, uh, who are your friends? And she said, oh, let me meet, show you my friends. Let, I want you to meet them. And we went to meet 18-year-old uh, mentally handicapped people and 25-year-old uh, uh, 
physically handicapped people and a lady I know from, remember from the Chicago area who seemed to be about 45 and who was in a wheelchair with rheumatoid arthritis. And Mrs. Lieber said, you know what I get to do? And I said, what? She said, I get to set the table at, down in the dining room every evening and I fix it pretty. I put the napkins and she start and I thought, oh, Lord, she knows the answer. It wasn't a thing like, do you know what I have to do? It was, do you know what I get to do? And I bring my friends down, and I have these couple girls, and they come with me, and I show them how to fix the table as I used to fix the table when I had my family and when my husband was a pharmacist and we had the china, silver, crystal, and napkins and all, and I show them how to do those things. And she acted as if she were in conspiracy with the whole place there. They all loved her. The minute she walked in the room, the recreational room, the whole room came alive. Now... People, you can do it. We can do it, but don't don't decide you're going to be that way when you're 83. Now, girls, if you don't decide, and ladies who are listening to me away from here, if you don't decide that today you're going to be what you're supposed to be, today you're going to be happy. If you're sick, so what? You're going to be happy. You're going to say, here are some of the things I get to do. I, I get to have more time to lie here and ponder over Scripture and memorize Scripture. I get to read some books that I haven't been able to read. I get to listen to some radio programs. That's what Mrs. Lieber said. She said, I turn on the radio in the morning, and I'm never interrupted, and I hear, oh, and she started naming off. She said, oh, and they just, it was as if they were her family. I, I can't get over this kind of person. I'll never get over this kind of lady, this kind of woman. I want to be like that, don't you? I want to be like that. So that means today, attitude is more important than fact. The facts were she was alone. She was sick. She was old. She didn't have all that much to be happy about. Those were the facts. But her attitude was, I get to plant flowers. They let us go out and plant our own flowers, she said, in flower beds around the uh, buildings here. This is just a wonderful place, she said. I would imagine it was a good place. It was a nice place. But I can imagine that she would have a wonderful place no matter where she was. That she determined that wherever she was, in whatever state she found herself there with to be content, with Paul, along with Paul. Are you content? Are you content today? Are you happy with the way God has, has blessed you today? If you're not happy today, don't be plan to be happy when you're 83. You'll be a mean, miserable, complainy, gripey, whiny old lady if you're a mean, miserable, gripey, complainy young girl. Now just know that and, and ask God to bless accordingly. Let's go on to this other sin of Christian women, gossip and critical spirit. Of course, if we have a critical spirit and we're always looking to see uh, those things that are wrong in others, then we are going to gossip. We are going to complain. Now, don't misunderstand this. I don't mean that we condone everything that someone else does. But unless we can do something about it, let's just not talk about it. If, if there's something that's really wrong with another person, it, now, if we can have the opportunity to talk with them, and if God can show us how to talk with them in a way which they can accept and in a way which will help them, fine. If not, let's shut up. I mean, just shut up. This gossip. What, what are some of, the, some of you say, well, I don't gossip myself. I, that's not my besetting sin. <laughs> we all say that. You know, that's not my besetting sin. Now, we don't go ahead. I say that, too. But, but I never go ahead to tell what my besetting sins are, do you? We, we just say, well, that's not my besetting sin. Whether it's our besetting sin or not, I've never known a woman. I certainly am not one. I'm not one who has been clean of this. 
and and we might say, now that's not my besetting sin. I just don't have that much problem with it. Now some women I know have a lot of problem. The minute that they put their uh, the telephone up to their ear, their tongue sticks out, and their tongue stays out a mile long all the time they've got their telephone to their ear. There's some kind of a reflex action. As soon as the telephone gets to the ear, the tongue goes out. You, you know, maybe we ought to have our telephones jerked out. You don't want your tongue jerked out, do you? Maybe we ought to have our telephones jerked out. So many times our, our young girls, our little girls, hear us talking and, and going on over the telephone in a way, and this can be from mild, meek, sweet-type ladies who don't seem to be, they won't register complaints with people who are the guilty ones. They'll go talk to others. I was in one place with a group of ladies, and uh, this sweet-looking lady, I, I'm sure she wasn't as bad as she thought she was, but bless her heart, white hair, lovely, beautiful white hair, uh, late 60s or maybe 70-some years old. And she stood up and she said, Marlene, Marlene, I'm just so bad. I'm so bad about this when we start, started talking about the gossip. I can almost be sure she wasn't that bad, can't you? A person who's that bad won't, won't say they're that bad. Isn't that always the truth? But probably she had been, to her, she was convicted even for the, for the few times or times she had been involved in it. She said, if I put my tongue on the altar, there wouldn't be room. It's six foot long. <laughs> we all laughed. We had some girls with us, and we all laughed at that dear lady. But I thought, oh, that is so true. But someone else, again, might say, I'm not the one who initiates the gossip. But what can I do when I'm around those who do? Now, here's some things that you might want to put down. Here's some things I've thought we could do. Completely change the subject, for one thing. Just completely change the subject. Someone comes up and says, uh, did you hear? And you say, oh, look, look at that. Look over there. They must be planning a party. Or did you hear about tomorrow we're going to have a program that's just really, I mean, just completely change the subject. They start again, completely change the subject again. They'll get the idea. Now, what we're wanting to do is stop the gossip without squelching the people. I don't want to squelch anybody, do you? I used to wish I could squelch people. I can remember. Did you, have you ever thought of what you want, the perfect squelch, while you're home vacuuming the floor? You know, you've wanted so badly to tell that person exactly what you thought. And you, then you go home and you start vacuuming the floor and you're going around just, it's churning in you what that person said. And all of a sudden you think, if I had just said this, then the day comes that you can squelch people. Then you wish you didn't know, know how to squelch them so badly, so, so well. We don't want to squelch people. We don't, we don't want, have any, any desire to squelch anyone. Uh, if we squelch the gossip who's come up and started gossip to us, we're as bad as they are because we're a people squelcher. So we're hurting someone. We want to help that person, not hurt that person. You know, I could say to them, I'm sorry, I just don't indulge in gossip. When just yesterday I gossiped or just two days ago I did something worse. No, not this pious prude attitude. Uh, pious in the wrong term of the word pious. Not that kind of an attitude at all, but some way to get it stopped without that, and maybe the person knows you're trying to stop it, but without making them feel, I'm, I'm so much lower than they are. They're not lower than, than we are. We just happen to be getting the victory over that thing at that particular time is all. We're to bear one another's burdens and care for one another. And so we should care more about the fact that that person gossips than we do about how much it hurts us. And, and we're, we feel sorry for, for her, and we want to help her. 
And 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 so when you just change the subject, number one. Number two, uh, maybe you and a, a close friend find yourself gossiping. If you have close friends and you're fellowshipping a lot, you no doubt are gossiping instead of fellowshipping. Just check your fellowship. Just go back over the last time you were together. If you're together very long without a very definite purpose, you'll be gossiping. Especially when you're close friends. I've known couples, married couples. You get a couple married couples who are very close together, and pretty soon it's us four and no more, and they look out over the rest of the people in the church as if, uh, I'm talking about Christian couples now, and they just spend their time talking about other people in the church, and what would you think about what they said this morning? And, you know, I, I think everybody except us is a little bit uh, funny, and uh, sometimes I wonder about you. You know, that kind of an attitude. Uh, close friendships are so often a way of tearing down your spirituality. Now, we say we want these close friends to help us spiritually, and it's so good to have a friend with whom uh, we can confide. Is it? Is it? Check up and be sure about that. Does it keep you from going out to those people who are new, uh, learning new people? Do you just have that as an exclusive friendship? Praise God for friendships where you know each other's there. And, and if you are in trouble, you know you can call on each other. But you don't spend all your hours together. In fact, you spend few hours together because you go out to help others and help people who do not have close friends. And you reach out toward others and not have this exclusive friendship, which really does, that's the word for it, exclude everyone else. I'm, but say a couple friends are together, good friends, and you start to gossip. Stop and say, don't say you shouldn't say that. You stop and say, I'm sorry, we shouldn't be doing this. This is wrong. We just shouldn't be doing this. And, and have prayer together about your hearts and your critical attitudes. Oh, if Christian women would quit their criticizing, quit their bickering, quit their griping and complaining. Girls, if I ever wrote a book, I can't write a letter, but if I ever wrote a book, and you know from my talking to you, see, I keep going back and forth. I, I just talk from my heart, and it's very difficult to put anything in a book like that. If I did write a book, it would be called, And There Was a Woman in the Church, And There Was a Woman in the Church. I don't know how many young preachers, you, you talk with them and they've left a church and they say, well, there was this woman in the church, you see. They've said it all when they've said that. One woman, one woman in the name of God, in the name of God's work, she feels she's doing good, starts criticizing and tears a church up, has to have her own way and is going to have it whether she, whether she uh, has any idea she even wants that way or not. I remember a lady, none of you, no one will know. I remember a lady uh, who wanted, who did not want carpet in a, in a church, in a church. And uh, in, a lo in a lot of small churches now, women will run the church. Now, when, in your bigger churches where the man is, when, where you have a man who is a man of God and a real leader or in a small church that's becoming big. Some of you are in small churches that are growing because they've got a man of God, they've got a leader that that leader will not let this happen because God's guiding leading and but in a lot of a lot of churches that are small and stay small and aren't they're not leading people to Christ there's nothing to do but bicker with each other and a lot of those situations women lead lead the church and you know that this is true and you've been in church business meetings where you've seen the whole thing torn up by some woman now they say they say oh I I'm just doing it you know in the name of the Lord they do this thing 
that this woman didn't want the church carpeted. But the vote went against her. So after the vote went against her, she decided she wanted more carpet than, than they decided, than the whole church decided they wanted. And then she started fussing about getting more carpet. I mean, you'll, this, it's little things. It's little things. And here's where women run the church, too. Quiet, nice was not just the ones who seemingly are, uh, are bossy and domineering and, and yelling and screaming and hollering. I mean quiet, passive women. They're the ones that, after the church business meeting, go home with their husbands, you see. They have the last word. And their husbands have had a business meeting in the church, and they've decided maybe to buy a church bus. And, the, and this wife will say, uh, the husband will tell her, and she'll say, uh, oh, really? How could we do that? And pretty soon, that's about all she has to say. Pretty soon the husband decides that we can't buy a church bus. And he goes back to the church and says, well, there's no way. And no, he doesn't know his wife planted that in his mind, and the church doesn't know that, that the wife's leading the church. Girls, I beg you, I beg you to to let your husband lead. You'll have to allow him to on purpose. Most of you have some, some mental ability. Most of you, ha you could lead. But on purpose, decide you're going to let your husband lead and that you're going to go by what your preacher and your husband say. The preacher and the husband are placed there by God, and if God wants them out of those positions, he'll kill them he'll, he'll, if he has to. He'll do whatever he has to do. They're there by the permission of God, and if they do wrong, they'll have to answer to God for it. Oh, please, please, trust them. And if, if you say they are not worthy of my trust, I see this and this and this and this, of course you do, because they're human beings, but they're still the ones in position and still the ones who will have to answer. Uh, build them. Build and, and encourage them and praise them on the things you do like, and maybe you'll see some of those things that you say, I see this and this and this, you'll see it drop off. Okay, after, after you've already been involved in gossip, number three, the person comes up and says, did you hear about John and Mary? They're just fussing and fighting and arguing, and, and you stop and say, oh, really? I'm so sorry. I am really sorry to hear that because I've seen, I've seen those people in action. They seem to, they've, they've been doing a good work. They seem to really care about the children whom they teach. I, let's pray about them right now. And bow your heads and pray. And it'll take the most confirmed gossip to put her head up and say, and you know what else? Just pray right there. Okay? Number four. Say, uh, say something like this. Did you know that uh, the person comes up and did, did you hear about such and such? And you say, oh, I'm sorry. I've had my own problems. And, and haven't you? Have you ever had problems like that? And the person says, well, yes. And then you've got yourself on your problems instead, instead of someone else's problems. And you're the only one who can help your problems. So I think what some of these things will help you more than you don't have. You don't have to go on talking to someone who's gossiping to you. You don't have to gossip because others do. So don't give that reason. Don't say, well, I can't help it. What am I going to do when someone else comes up and says something to me? If you listen to it very long, you'll be joining it, and you'll be joining it fast. So be, be so very careful about that. 
Gossip is, is something that will hurt you. It'll hurt your church. It'll hurt God's work. And if we would come off this critical attitude, and if we just love all Christians and stand for all Christians and, and say nothing about another Christian and certainly say nothing about a, another a sinner, say it because then we're not going to be able to win them to the Lord. If they don't hear it, we ourselves will be, a, uh, will be affected by what we've said about them, and we won't have the burden and the love for them that we should have. Of course they're nothing. We don't expect them to be anything. So it shouldn't be a surprise to us that they live poor lives. Just, just let's bear one another's burdens as Christian people, and then let's, let's just pray for those who are doing wrong, and let's ask God to keep our tongues in our mouths. If you have a, a big mouth and you talk a lot, ask God to help you to talk in the right way. That you'll counsel, that you'll speak, that you'll teach. That whatever, whenever you talk, that it'll, it'll be just words, golden words. Uh, 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 as an apple of gold in a picture of silver. Remember that in Proverbs? How beautiful words can be. It's not that we just shut up. It's that we use those words to bless and encourage and praise and comfort and teach. And then God can use our tongues, can use our mouths. And if you have the gift of gab, as they say, just dedicate it to the Lord Jesus. Okay, now what about when we're attacked, when someone attacks us? Have you ever so had someone talk about your preacher? You love, you love your preacher here at Hiles Anderson, and you love your preacher back home. And have you ever had anyone come up to you and attack your preacher? And you want to say, listen, don't you, listen, buddy, don't you ever say anything about my preacher. I'm not going to let you get by with that. You're not going to do it another minute. How about disarming him instead of shooting him back? We have shootouts. They shoot at us and we shoot back and someone's going to die. And we don't want anyone to die. We just want to disarm them. So they come up and say, I don't know who, you, I know your preacher. Let's say it's your preacher. Someone comes up and says, did you know such and such about that preacher over at your church? And you say, oh, no, I can't believe that. Is that really true? Because I've put my trust in him. Uh, that really, I feel terrible. When did this thing happen? Whatever it is they're saying, you know, your preacher left with all the money or something, you know, or t he, he, ro he robs the church. They, You know, and you, you, of course, you know ex exactly that you, you know this isn't true. But, oh, no, and, and tell me about it. And when you, do you know they'll back up? almost every time, and they'll say, well, I, I don't really know for sure, you know, and you say, oh, I've got to know, I've got to know, because people are looking to that man, and I've got to know, and they'll say, now, when, when was, well, uh, I guess I really don't know someone, I just heard that someone, and they get weaker and weaker, someone told a friend of mine who told my cousin, and my cousin is a good source, and they told me, you know, and, and then pretty soon they're saying, do you know what? He really does a good work in this town. He's a pretty good fella. Let them, let them, just disarm them. And let them be the one that begins defending him instead of you're defending him. But what if they attack you personally? People come up and seemingly attack you. You feel it's an attack, a verbal attack. Don't defend yourself. Now, when we disarm someone because we don't want something said about a preacher that could hurt, but uh, yourself... Uh, don't fight back. You know, the battle is the Lord's. The, ba the battle is His. We fight so much about ourselves. We cry so much over ourselves. Cry over others. Cry because you're touched by the Lord. 
But don't cry over yourself. It's a weakness to cry over yourself, but it's a strength to cry over others. But most women are sitting around just, oh, you know, I don't know what I'm going to do. I've just had all these problems, and I don't know. In fact, I don't know how I'm going to make it through this day. You make it through this day because you can do all things through Christ, which strengtheneth you. That's how. Because he, he, is, he supplies everything you need. That's how you can make it through this day and through every other day. And every time you throw up your hands in despair and cry over something that hurt feelings, cry about yourself, you're weakening your testimony before your family and before everyone else. Oh, we need a group of different women, just people who will be different. Some of you know when I got the burden about being different. I hope not odd, although we'll seem odd, won't we? But being different from the ordinary Christian woman. One, one day about a, a year and a half ago, I, a woman stood and said, we just don't have many great women. And I was in the meeting. We don't have many great women. And I thought, yes, that's true. But, and I started thinking about, should there be great women? As we have great men of God, should there be great women? I thought, maybe not in the same instance. I believe ladies ought to uh, point toward, you know, to, to other girls, toward the man of God. But yet there ought to be ladies after whom they can pattern Instead of so many times as our young girls come up, they believe this women's lib brought because they want to be something themselves. And they, if they feel like in order to do something, if they are the type of girl that wants to do something, they feel in order to do something almost they have to act as a man acts. Instead of pl being a Proverbs 31 lady, a real lady, and b doing everything, serving and doing everything that God would want them to do, and the older teaching the younger, and, and counseling and bearing burdens with one another. Right now, girl, girls bearing burdens with each other. They don't see all this. They don't see the great and many, so many things where you could be great. All right, so let's say maybe we shouldn't strive. Greatness isn't, isn't a worthy goal. Not strive to be great. But strive to be used of God. And that term has come to me and gone through my mind and through my mind and through my mind. As I've thought of to be used of God, to sing, to speak, to pray, or to, to wash dishes, or to change diapers, or to, you know, to be used of God. Susanna Wesley was used of God to take care of children. Uh, the ones, that, the women we do know about have been used, not abused, but used. Oh, that we could be used, used, used any way that God would want to use us, whether it's in the limelight or whether it's not. It, not caring at all as long as we're being used. Now, these are the kind of women that we want to be, and this is the goal all of us ought to have. And if we're going to... Now, God wants to use us. That's it's ridiculous to think he wouldn't use us if we're usable. So what we want to be is usable. And, and we'll be, uh, now some of us, you know, the minute something doesn't go right and plans are changed and the preachers ask us to do something and then he changes his mind and we say, now look, you told me this and I'm going to look bad before the people if you change it and, I, and, and start arguing with him. You know what? Then you won't be used because he's not, he, he can't afford to use you. No matter how many talents you have, he can't afford to use you. When the preacher or your husband say something, say yes, sir, and plan later how you're going to work it out. You might not know how you're going to work it out right then. It doesn't matter how you look before the people. It matters how he looks before the people. And then you know what? God will vindicate you too.
Because as you put yourself last, God will put you first. As you put yourself down, God will put you up. And as you give up those things that you thought you liked and wanted, he'll give you those things that you love, that you had no idea that you would love. We don't know what we want anyway. Half the time we want one thing and half the time we want something else we really don't know. It'll help you so very much to not have a critical spirit if you will just remember one simple verse. You know by now what it is, don't you? Rejoice in the Lord always, always in the Lord, always. And again, I say rejoice. When you find yourself losing control, whether it's negative thinking, anger, gossip, perhaps as we've been talking about gossip, uh, perhaps you find yourself in the situation when you're just about to join in the gossip. Someone has started to gossip and you feel yourself going. Have you ever been in that kind of a situation where you say, now I shouldn't say anything and then, but I've just got to say this and you really think about it and after thinking about it, you still go ahead and full well knowing what you're doing, talk against someone. I have done that very well, very conscious. Now sometimes I'm not conscious and I say something and then afterwards it comes to me. Or possibly sometimes I ne it never does come to me what I've done. I, I, we're so used to gossiping, we don't even know what gossip and critical spirit is. It's just so much a part of us that that's just something we do all the time. We don't even see it. I know this is true because sometimes I'll say something to one of you about, I heard that you said this and you say, well, oh, really? Does that matter? Uh, we just feel this is the way women are. We say that's the way women are. And, you, that, and, and even it, we have church socials where, where they'll plan for women to gossip. They say, now the men will be doing such and such, and the women can come and bring their sewing and do their gossiping over in the corner. Now, we would never say, now the women can come and drink liquor over in the corner. Uh, we would never say, now, the women will, uh, the women will uh, have dirty books and sit, you know, we, that's laughable. And yet we tr that shows how we treat gossip, as if it's not even a sin, and it's probably caused more trouble within churches and within Christian families than all the liquor, all the dirty books and everything else that you could think of. But because it's our sin, we'll overlook it. It's our little pet. We understand what we mean by it. We even dignify it by saying, well, it's just that I want you to pray more intelligently for the person. I, I'm just giving a prayer request. And while you give the prayer request, you say, John and Mary are in trouble, and this is what's been happening. I think John's going out with someone's other wife, and we sound like a TV serial giving a prayer request. When all we have to say is, please pray for John and Mary. If we're really, or we possibly might not even give the name if they're known. We might just say there is, uh, there's a problem, a marital problem about which I want prayer. And God knows. If you're not really spreading gossip, then be sure how you handle a prayer request. More gossip is spread in churches in the name of the Lord than anything else probably. All right, you feel yourself losing control by gossip, by anger, you're about to, or you're, you're going to let your feelings get hurt, or you're going to go have a hissy fit. I don't know what you call it. I call it a hissy fit. Have you ever had one of those? I mean to tell you, that can really be a sight to see when someone decides they're going to have hysterics, and you decide it. You almost, there are very few who cannot stop it. 
You decide whether you're going to let yourself go over the line or not. It's very hot day. The kids are in the car. Uh, the, you have a flat tire, and you're out of gas, and you're on a freeway, and what are you going to do? You know, and you decide, oh, I, I guess you, you let it build up and build up. I guess the only thing to do is just, you know, win in trouble, win in doubt, run in circles, scream and shout. And, and your kids are watching you perform that way. And they say, well, mom is just that way. So daughter thinks that's the way to be. And we keep going, is it possible, people, to have a different breed of women, a different breed of Christian women? If you feel yourself losing control, negative thinking, gossip, anger, uh, vicious attacks on your children, I hope it would be verbal vicious attacks, maybe even just physical attacks when all you're doing is letting off your steam and you're not really disciplining in a way that would really help the child do you ever hear yourself yeah 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 you know just just this constant yelling and screaming around at christian homes even uh and you you're losing control that's all you're doing you're not helping your child at all or stupid arguing do you get into just stupid pointless arguing and you begin to lose control and just start these horrible arguments with your husband do you know christian husbands and wives just idle bickering and arguing is one of their sports too oh god help us to be different from that what do you do when you feel yourself just about losing control think of these verses for one thing proverbs 25:28 says he that hath no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down and without walls. When a city doesn't have walls around it, it's vulnerable. It's weak. Anything can come in and get that city, take that city. Any enemy could take the city without walls. Any enemy can take a person who has no walls around their spirit. They have no control over their own spirit, hath no rule over his own spirit. And Proverbs 16:32, he that is slow to anger is better than the mighty, and he that ruleth his spirit than he that taketh a city. The person who says, well, I'm not going to let anybody take, tell me what to do. I'll tell you when they come up to me, oh, I'll let them have it. And you might become so angry when they come up and say something wrong to you that you look terrible in front of everyone who hears you. They hear what you say or they see how you act, and they wonder how long it'll take you to lose control of yourself and kill somebody. I've, I've been so afraid that little children whom the Lord let me teach might kill someone someday. They have no control over their spirit, and you see them just at the mercy of their own spirit, so to speak. And you wonder, well, when, when will it be that someone will provoke them enough or anger them enough to the point where they'll kill somebody? We're completely open to the other person. Now, a lot of people who think they're someone or try to act as if they do, I doubt that anyone really thinks this. I think they probably have an inferiority complex or they wouldn't have to act this way. But when they act as if they think they're someone, they say, I I'll, tell some I'll tell them. I'll tell them anything I want to tell them. And in so doing, he's showing that person that that person really has control over him, that that person dictates how he acts. That he himself is not dictating how he acts, but he's letting others dictate to him how he acts. All right, take your scriptures. Saturate yourself, as I've said before. Saturate yourself with scriptures according to the dosage of scripture you need. If you need a dose of scripture on controlling your spirit, then find those verses. Type them out. Write them out. Put them above the sink. 
Put them above the bathtub. Put them in the in the bedroom. Put the, wherever you are. Put those verses there, and I mean saturate yourself with them. I don't mean just read them once. I mean read them and read them and read them and read them until almost they're memorized without you even knowing you were memorizing them. Put them up in the car. Put them on the visor. Over, over, uh, or somewhere over the steering wheel. Then you stop and wa- wait for those trains to go by, uh, and you'll never become frustrated because you have something great to do. You go to the doctor's office, have the verses there, saturate yourself with them. Then, if you wait two hours, you'll not even know it's been two hours because you've had a goal that you've been able to reach. Saturate yourself with a dose of scripture appropriate to that problem. Remove yourself. Just remove yourself mentally from the situation. You're sitting at the railroad crossing, and you're supposed to be on the other side. And if you don't get there right now, you hadn't planned to leave enough time to figure there would be a trade. And always plan there will be, because in our area of the country, anyway, there usually is. If it's not a train, it's something else. Don't plan on your plan going well. As tremendous Char- Charlie Tremendous Jones says, plan on your plan not going. And then you'll never, if, if someday your plan does work, well, then you can work that into your schedule too. But you have a goal. You're at one end. Let's put one finger way out to pointing to one side. And diametrically opposed, your goal is over here pointing to the other wall. Then anything that comes between those two fingers is a frustration. Because something's coming between you and your goal. Your goal is to be on the other side of the railroad tracks. Your goal is to hurry and get through the doctor's office because you have to be someplace else. Uh, don't, uh, don't plan on making that goal without some frustrations coming in there or some, some obstacles coming in there. Now, if you have planned on obstacles coming in there between you and your goal, then you won't be frustrated. They only become frustrations when you don't plan on those things happening. Plan on it happening and then say, God, work through those, uh, those things that seem to be opposing me. Work through that. And, and let me work that into my uh, schedule in a way that will be a blessing to, to you. Do I live this way all the time? I certainly do not. All I, I, but I know it works. I've lived this way enough to know that when I allow the Holy Spirit to work through me in this way that it will work. I can tell you that. I know the Bible works and the Bible teaches this. And therefore, I don't point to myself. I say, that's our goal, ladies. That's our goal, girls. Let's work toward that goal. All right, you're sitting waiting for the train. And you say, uh, I just, I, you just sit there and fume. How long? And, and, and if you've got a child with you, honey, get out and see if, the, see if it's coming. If, if the, it's coming yet, if it's, you see the caboose. You know, and all this kind of junk and stuff. And, and it's, it's warm and you don't have an air conditioner in the car. It's cold and you don't have a heater or the heater isn't eat, eating or always it's something like that. And you work yourself into a frenzy until by the time you get across the tracks, they wish you hadn't gotten across the tracks. Please, let, let's decide that these things are going to happen. Let's, if you're in that kind of a situation, remove yourself from the situation. When was there a time that you really enjoyed yourself? My time was in Hendersonville, North Carolina, on top of a mountain. Uh, I can remember Mrs. Perry and I, and you girls know Mrs. Perry, who's a dormitory supervisor here at the at House Anderson. I remember we she, that was her hometown. We sat up on top of a mountain for about two hours, and I don't think we talked to each other that afternoon. We just sat there in quiet companionship. And a peace stole over me as I looked at those mountains and thought, 
they'll just sti- they will still be here when our problems are all gone they'll still be here there's something about an ocean or a river or mountains those things god provides for us that are just extra little jewels along the way that he gives us that give us a steadiness and make us realize that the little petty problems or the things that seem so big right now today will really not be that big tomorrow and that those steady mountains will be right there. And that was a blessed time I had. Do you know sometimes when you see me around here, I'm not here at all. I'm on that mountain. Recently, God allowed me to, remember, God allowed me to go to Hawaii. I, I just enjoyed that time over there so much. And New Year's Eve, we had the most beautiful New Year's Eve service on the beach. New Year's Eve, can you believe it? People were ice skating here. It ought to be a sin to live over there, shouldn't it? But any, it probably is, too. Uh, but anyway, I, uh, I can remember how the ocean seemed that night and how warm it was and the ocean breezes. And sometimes I become tired or, or something has happened that's disappointed me or I'm not making some goal. And I take a 10-minute break and go to Hawaii. And you're seeing me here, but I'm really sitting on a beach in Hawaii. Now, if you're the type of person who wants to withdraw from reality and wants to do that all the time, I wouldn't advise it. But if, if you can go there for a 10-minute break for a rest and you feel yourself losing control, you see, you're becoming angry with someone, leave them. Just mentally leave them. And take a break where you can then come back and talk with your children or talk with your roommate or talk with your husband, whatever, rationally and in a way that would be a blessing to your lives. Take, remove yourself. Another idea when you feel yourself lo- losing control. And here's another one. Uh, I've mentioned substitute thinking, and the magnifying glass principle is about the same thing. But some of you will want to put one thing in your mind to use, and some will, something else will work with another one of you. It's the same idea. It's, it's controlling what you allow to stay in your mind. Remember, you can't help what comes into your mind. Oh, you can, because you can see to it that you don't look at certain things and that you are very careful about that. That's what separation the world from the world is all about that we want to be as separated as we possibly can. But sometimes you get so, you can't help what comes to your mind. You get to going on a negative thought, and you can't help what comes to your mind. But you can help what you allow to stay in your mind. Remember, substitute a Philippians 4.8 thought for a negative thought. You could only think one thing at a time. The negative thought's there. Then grab a Philippians 4.8 thought and drive that negative thought out with that thing that's good and pure and lovely and of good report, and, and, and think of that. I'm going to bake a cake tomorrow. Think about something you're going to do exciting tomorrow for someone else, and drive that negative thought out in that way. You know, you're not even tired when you begin to think what you can do for other people. You think, I want to get up in the morning. When you go to bed at night, program yourself. I'm going to get up in the morning, and, I, and this is what I'm planning to do for someone. And all of a sudden, you're not tired. But if you go to bed at night, I don't know how I am going to get through tomorrow. And you you say, I'm too tired, really, to lie in this bed. And then the next morning you get up and drag around because you haven't planned the night before what you're going to do for God the next day that's really exciting. You could Possibly you won't even get much sleep. But if you go to bed in a relaxed, rested state of mind, an excited state of mind, excited about what you're going to do for God, you'll get up the same way the next morning. Ask God to help you do that. Substitute thinking, then magnifying glass, same thing. Which side do you put the magnifying glass on? Remember, I've mentioned this. Put the magnif- Some people put the magnifying glass on the left-hand side, and they act like they're selling vinegar receipts. It doesn't matter where you see them. They've got a long face, and they've got a frown in, on their uh, 
for it, and they absolutely have see the worst in every situation. You say, isn't it great? What Didn't we have a good time at that party? And they say, yeah, but I'll tell you what, I saw this happen, and it really bothered me. Now, instead of, now, if it's critical evaluation, I mean constructive critical evaluation, so you can say, that was a good party we had for the young people, but let's evaluate. These things were good, and these things were bad, and let's do this so we can have the first-class thing in God's work next week. That is positive evaluation. But just, no, I saw something that was wrong. You know, that's the person who looks on the left-hand side. Keep these principles in mind. Who puts the magnifying glass on the left-hand side of every person and every situation. Now, say these things over and over and over to yourself. We We can't repeat them enough. And then there are those people who are happy all the time. And they put the magnifying glass on the right hand side of every situation and every person. And you start to say, well, this this happened, it's bad. That's really bad. And they say, yes, but did you notice how this, some, that person seemed to be enjoying themselves or this person seemed to be helping someone else? And they see the good and the positive out of every situation. We're not asking you to be a Pollyanna who just shuts your mind and heart to everything that should be helped, everything that should seem to be better. We're just asking you to rejoice in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice. All right, these things will help you. In when you feel that you are losing control of yourself. Now, we've not talked much about the, the last three sins. Let's go over them again. Nerves, worry, and depression, the five sins of Christian women. Nerves, worry, and depression as one. Gossip and critical spirit as two. Now we talk about immodest dress, lack of love for your husband, and lack of soul winning. We'll have a future tape which will tell uh, quite a bit more about these three. But let's, let's talk just a little bit about lack of love for your husband. Now, almost all of you would say that you love your husband. But do you really? Do you love him enough to obey him? Do you love him enough because uh, to, to on purpose obey him? You say, I love him, but I want him to be this way and this way and this way. I see some things where he just doesn't measure up. And it's for him that I don't want him to be that way. All right, if, if it is for him, then you'll put your magnifying glass on the right-hand side and you'll see everything good that you can see about him. And you'll see those things that are bad change because you have let him be, be a man and decide himself what he wants to change. You start telling him to, uh, what he should change in his life and he'll decide that's exactly what he should keep. If he's a man, he will. If he is a man, that's what he's going to do. And you don't want less than a man, do you? Or do you? Do you want a little child? Do you want someone uh, that, that you can tell? You say, well, I don't boss my husband. I'm not the domineering type. Uh, all right, what did you say to him uh, the last time he came in and, and dropped his clothes around on the, on the floor? Talk to some widows. See how often they would see what they say about picking up their husband's clothes. Let him decide whether he wants to drop his clothes around or not. You know, you praise him for the things that he's doing that you do see instead of spending time on the things that you don't like. And God will bless you for it. It's not just your husband. It's being ready to do whatever your preacher asks you to do. And, 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 assume, and some of you say, but I don't want to hurt my home. You're not worried about hurting your home. You're worried about hurting your telephone time. Some of you that are, are talking about that, how much you've got to do all day long aren't trying to learn how to do a couple things at a time and keep your sanity while you're doing it too. Just learn quietly to do a few several things at a time. 
uh, and you spend all kinds of time out on on luncheons and being out with the women of the church, and you say, "Well, I've got to take care of my children. I got to take. Are you taking care of them? Are you giving them full time and talking with them and and really doing what they want you to do once in a while instead of just doing your own thing and taking them with you?" and saying you're spending time with them or just being at home and you're on the telephone and the little kids are saying hey mom hey mom come on I want I need something I need something and you say just a minute just a minute and the minute becomes 30 minutes are, are none of you guilty of that are, are, am I the only one who's ever done that it seems as if you act as if you've never heard of such a thing if we're caring more about doing what the our husbands and what our preachers want us to do then we'll be able to take care of the children too a preacher who really loves the Lord is going to want it to help you. You say, preacher, I don't know how I'm going to do it. You're asking me to do something I don't know how I'm going to do. But I'll find a way. But could you help me? And many times he can help you understand how you could do this thing he's asking you to do. Maybe he's asking you to do some social project for the church. Have a, a banquet, a, a help with a banquet or something like that. And you say, but I just wouldn't have time for all the committee meetings. Uh, give up the committee meetings. Uh, most of the committee meetings, all you do is sit around with a bunch of women and, and eat and talk and gossip, and then you get the thing planned, too. But you spend a whole lot of time you don't need to plan. You can have massive projects with a minimum of planning. Just by letting one woman lead, this is her time to lead. Let her ask the ladies what they want to do and coordinate that thing so that it can be done with a minimum of planning. Stop to think about the last time you planned something. A woman's shower at the church. How many hours were sp spent on planning that thing? Were they needed? Were they actually needed? Or was there a lot of gossipship instead of fellowship along with the planning of that shower? By the way, when you plan a church shower, is it any different from a shower such as a civic club or a public school faculty would have? Or is it just about the same thing? I'm afraid of a lot of things happen in the name of a church shower that should not happen. I believe that sometimes the relatives of, of those people being honored come in and we completely leave them alone while we sit in our little groups talking about what's happened at church last Sunday. Maybe two or three of us together, getting in our little cliques, because we want to do that and we have our own friends. Of course we do, except that we don't do what we want to as a woman used of God. If you want to be a woman used of God, you'll give up that which you want. So you want to sit with Susie? Don't. Whatever you want to do, that's a pretty good chance that you shouldn't do it. That that's not the thing that will really honor and bless others as they come into something like a church shower. Are you, what kind of a church shower do you have? I'm having trouble saying that, aren't I? Church shower. What kind of a church shower do you have? Do you have a little devotional so you can say that it was in the church and you're going to have just this little prayer? Do you know I've been in public school faculties that also have a prayer at a shower? I mean, in recent years, that's not a Christian shower. A Christian shower where you're honoring perhaps the, the birth of a new child. Let's make it something that would send mothers home to be better mothers. Let's, let's let the mothers each tell the honoree some of the things that she's learned, uh, that they've learned about children. And in so doing, you'll help the person who's going to have the child, and you'll help all the people who are there at the, uh, at the shower. What are your goals for a shower? Do you know that unsaved people, unsaved women come into a church church building, some kind of a church building at the time of their loved one shower when you couldn't get them there any other time and that you have some little prayer and that's all there is to it? When you could get up, and I don't mean have a preaching service either. I mean you could get up and have people tell about when the bride was saved. You could tell about when the bride made Jesus the master of her life. 
Someone else tell that. With songs that would go along with it in between each of these times. You could have them tell when she gave her life to this person she's going to marry. When she gave her word that she would become his bride. Honor her in this way, but make it, make those people, help those people to realize the fellowship and the love that you have together. And by the way, put them in a circle, not in rows, where again, they get off by themselves and you don't know, and you don't even ask them if, if they're Christians. You don't even ask them if they die today, would they go to heaven? You don't even give the plan of salvation at the shower. They don't even hear it. And it's the one time, perhaps, that they'll get in the church. What are your goals? Are your goals to get together, ladies, and just have a good time and 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 almost have a social time as the world has it and just honor it dignify it with a prayer so you can say it's a church time if you if you really want to be used to god this will not do it just won't do what are your goals every shower should have us at one of one of its goals to get someone saved someone who's there an unsaved person i have never yet heard of a women's shower where someone got saved now, if they saw the love that they should see among the women of the church, do you know I believe they'd someone, somewhere, sometime would come up to a lady and say, what is this all about? I've never heard of it. Now, if any of you listening have heard of it, I wish you'd let me know. I would just love to know if this has ever happened. But do we even have it as, as it a goal? So, of course, it's not going to happen. One of our goals is to honor the person that, for whom we're having the shower. That's fine. But let's also help Christians to be better Christians. And let's be sure that someone who's unsaved could get the plan of salvation while they're there. They are there right in the church building. All right, if we're wanting to do what the preacher says, and if we're wanting to show our love to our husband, these things will all drop off. These problems will drop off as we let the Holy Spirit work and use us to be used of God to sing to speak to pray to be used of God to show someone the way I long so much to feel the touch of his consuming fire to be used of God is my desire perhaps that isn't even your desire take the song and write it down and remember it's not just to sing to speak to pray it's to be used of God to obey my husband even though I might think something else is better. That's not my privilege to say. You put yourself down, God will put you up. By the way, you put yourself down and your husband will put you up. There's a beautiful circle. You please him and do what he wants you to do. And he'll turn around and want to please you. Instead of having a vicious circle, as we have in so many marriages, and I'm sorry to say, in many Christian marriages too. Instead of having a vicious circle, we'll have a beautiful circle where we're working just as hard as we can for the good of the other person, where we love the other person so much we want what they want. Even if it's just a like, even if it's a want we don't understand, even if we wonder why in the world would he want this thing, it doesn't matter whether we understand why he wants this thing or not. It's that we have decided that we're going to please our husbands. Do you really love your husband? You say it. And you say, oh, I, do, I have his meals ready and I have his home. Maybe you have his home fixed in such a way uh, that he can't even feel at home in his home. Then that's not love for your husband. That's love for your home. In the name of, uh, of your husband, in the name of your children, you keep a home in such a way that they really don't have a house in such a way that they don't have a home. Have you ever heard a boy come back to mom and say, hey, mom, that was a swell bathroom you had back home. 
You know, you you spend all this time matching the towels, and it's just, you've got, you have plants coming out. You have a birdcage over the bathtub, and you have plants coming out of the birdcage, and you've gilded the birdcage, and it's just, it's just beautiful. It looks like a picture out of a magazine. But have you ever yet heard a boy come home and say, Mom, I remember that bathroom. You had that match so well. That was a beautiful bathroom. No, they come back. They come home and say, Mom, I remember how I used to be able to come bring my friends in and we could tromp in the, the kitchen and go to the refrigerator and get some food and sit down and talk to you. And you'd listen to us instead of flitting all over. Now, why, why do we do the things we do? That's what's so important. So many times, everything that we're doing, keeping the house, staying at home with the children, we say it's for them. Is it for them? Is it for our husbands? Do we really care that they are loved? Do we really care that they know they're loved? You say, but I'm not very demonstrative. Then get demonstrative. Start demonstrating that love. Tell God you must show it. You must not just have it. You must show it. All this can be possible, ladies. All this can be possible if we realize that everything we do can be done not because we have love, but because God has love and he's in us. Because the Lord Jesus is in us. And he can do it through us if we are rejoicing in the Lord always. And again, I say rejoice in the Lord always.